Hey, welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jeff Simmons, the lead pastor here at Rolling Hills, and I am so glad that you've tuned in today. Today, we're going to be hearing from Pastor Jason, as he'll be teaching from 1 John chapter 4, as we continue our series, A Beautiful Life, a study of 1 John. Now, let's hear from Pastor Jason. I would venture to say that most of you probably don't like taking tests. Most of you probably do not like exams. For some of us in the room, it has been quite some time since we have had to take a test of any kind. But for those students in the room, or maybe a college student or a grad student, or people with a job that requires you to have some kind of continuing education or certification that requires that you're able to take an exam and pass that exam to be able to continue on in what you are doing. We feel your pain this morning. On behalf of somebody who does not have to take tests anymore, I feel your pain. Now, for some of you, it's an AP history exam that you just had or uh, some graduate school test or the NCLEX for nursing or the CPA exam. Whatever it may be, what those tests do is those tests are put into practice so that we can see or so that the institution can see if you really know your stuff. Can you put to paper all of the things that you have been taught and to see if you are you know, capable and adept at those things? Now, for you younger folks in the room, I want to tell you a little bit of a secret. And if you consider yourself young, then just go ahead and listen up. For you younger folks in the room, there is a day when all that goes away. And so just know that. If you're a student right now and parents are probably like, I can't believe he's about to say this, do really, really well. But I will assure you, it has been quite some time since anybody has asked me about my high school GPA or my college GPA. So do well, do your best, but just know that eventually all of those quizzes and tests go away and they will be replaced with the only kind of quizzes we take as adults are those Facebook quizzes that you pick your color and it tells you, you know, something about your personality. And so, but all of us, trust us, we remember those days of taking exams. Or how about a driving test? Who remembers their driving test? Who aced parallel parking at age 16? I did. Keep your hands up if you still love to parallel park. I do. I mean, I still to this day, I'm like, I like to see how small the space can be that we can fit our car into. Now, again, by a show of hands, who can say I honestly have not parallel parked since my driver's test? at age 16. Okay, more people are in that category. But isn't it really interesting to me that we take kids at age 16 and we test them on something that literally about 90% of the population says I'm never going to do again. But we take that as a really important test to someone as they are learning to drive. Now that I have made all of you with test anxiety really nervous today, let's jump right into the message. And uh, see what it is that God wants to teach us today. We're at week six of this sermon series called A Beautiful Life. And we're looking at this incredible book of the Bible called 1 John. And in some ways, I think a good subtitle to the book of 1 John would be a book of tests. Because if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you have seen time and time again what John does in this book of the Bible is he gives us things that we are to evaluate ourselves against. In fact, he gives us quite a few tests. If you're here for the very first time today, Just know that I'm so grateful that you are here, and we are at week six of this series called A Beautiful Life. And what that means is that God has a life for us to live, and it is a full life. It is a rich life. It is a life of incredible meaning. But to live that life, we have to pass some of the tests, and we have to look at what it is that God has in store for us and to say, am I capable and am I willing to do what it is that God has called me to do? Because if I'm not then there's probably something in my life that I'm not going to experience. In fact, the book of 1 John is the first part of a three-part letter 
that John wrote to churches. And what he was attempting to do with this letter is to see if the church was really willing to follow through with what they say was important and it actually be important in practicality. Are you just proclaiming to know God or are you actually living like you know God and that acting out and as an outflow into your life? In fact, I kind of think if, if I were giving John a title in the first century church, it would probably be chief compliance officer because he's coming to the church and he's saying, are you really following what it is that Jesus said you should be following? Or are you allowing your life to be shaped by the world? Are you allowing your life to be shaped by the enemy? Or are you allowing your life to be shaped by Jesus? Because if you allow your life to be shaped by Jesus, then you're going to live a full life, a rich life. But if you allow your life to be shaped by the world, there's going to be some fallout. Not only personally, but professionally, and especially from a ministerial perspective in the life of the church. So it's as if John is saying, look at the tests. Evaluate yourself against what it is that Jesus has for you. And maybe by the end of the message today, you'll have given yourself a grade and you'll have said, hey, that's where I need to improve or that's something that God's working on my heart right now. And I hope and pray that you'll have the courage to follow through in whatever it is that God may be asking you to do. So I want us to go to 1 John chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can hop all the way over to the end of the New Testament. These words are going to be up here on the screen as well. Maybe you have one of those mobile devices with the Bible app and you can follow along. But I want us to read all of 1 John. Chapter 4. It's 21 verses, but I want you to hear the entire text before we kind of break down a couple of these tests that God is showing us and that he's wanting us to lean into. Let's start in verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us and whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. 
So in these 21 verses, there's a couple tests that I see here. And one of which you kind of learn at the end of verse 6. And what John says at the end of verse 6 is that there is a test that you have to take in your life to be able to recognize is what's coming into your life of God or of the world. Is it something that's true or is it something that's false? Is it something of God or is it something of the enemy? And we're going to unpack how you know the difference between those two in just a moment. And then the remaining 15 verses hit on a topic that we have been talking about every week in this series. For those of you who are here for the very first time, you're hearing this for the first time. For those of you that have been here six weeks, you're probably like, I get it, Pastor Jason. Love. He says that the biggest test is love. And some of you are like, I get it. I don't think I'm going to come back next week because enough talk about love. I get it. Do you really, though? Do you really get it? Do you really understand the depthfulness that God has lavished up on you and how you are to love other people? I don't think we really get it, or otherwise John wouldn't have brought it up every five verses. There's probably some room to grow here. And so these tests are understanding what's happening in your life. Is it from God or is it from the world? And then this test of love, am I growing in love? And so specifically in the first century, what John is doing here is he's preparing the church for a plethora of things that are going to be coming their way. Specifically in the context that this was written, there were so many groups of people that believed so many different things. There was this one group of people that didn't believe that Jesus was actually resurrected. Those were the Sadducees. And then there were these groups that had made life and faith all about works opposed to about grace, and that this is something that is completely undeserved. And then there were those who were just deniers of the truth. None of this is real. You can't be trusted any of this. And then there were mystics. Those were the ones who had some kind of spiritual life that was a combination of worshiping idols and worshiping nature and worshiping some of the truth that is here in God's Word and kind of a hodgepodge of things. And then there were Jews that didn't understand that Jesus was the Messiah. They had been anticipating a Messiah, and he was there, but they didn't expect him to come as a baby, and so they missed what it is that Jesus came to do. And then there were all the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. There was the workings of the enemy. There was all of the darkness. And what John is saying here to the early church is you have to be able to discern between all of these things specifically It's the first point today if you want to follow along on those worship notes. Specifically then, the clearest way to discern if something is of God is to evaluate the quote-unquote truth that it is based upon. The clearest way to discern if something is of God is to evaluate the truth that it is based upon. This is the first test. This is the first test that you have to evaluate in your life. Look back at verses 2 and 3. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Where's all my type A people who just love life A plus B equals C? Where are you guys? I know you're here. This should be your life verse. I'm giving you full disclosure. This should be your life verse. Commit this verse to memory if you are type A, A plus B equals C, because it is so clear what John is saying here. The best way... This is how you can recognize is something of God. Everything that acknowledges Jesus has come, Jesus is in the center, that is of God. Everything that does not put Jesus in the center is not of God. And he's saying, this is how you can discern. This is how you can pass that test. Well, to bring it up to the 21st century, though, just like the early church was dealing with a plethora of things, so are we. And so is your life. 
Because, see, you're introduced to things all the time, and what you have to do is you have to evaluate, is this of God or not? Is this true or is this false? In fact, you're introduced to different religious beliefs all the time, aren't you? You're introduced to people of different faith backgrounds. In fact, maybe you're asking yourself this question, or you have been asked this question before. Is there really anything different between Mormons, Catholics, Muslims, and Protestant Christians? Is there really anything different between a person of a Mormon faith and a person of a Muslim faith, a Protestant Christian? Of course there is a difference between all of those groups of people. You may not think there's a difference if you don't know who God is. And that's why he's saying, I want you to be able to discern between what is of God and what is not of God. I would say it's a pretty safe assumption that there is nobody in the room that struggles knowing the difference between chicken noodle soup, Tom Hanks, and the state of Connecticut. (laughs) Right? You don't ever interchange those things. You don't ever say, I'm really hungry. What would you like to eat? Mm, I don't know. Maybe some Connecticut. Or where would you like to go on vacation? I don't know. Chicken noodle soup. Sounds great. I hear it's nice. In the summer, you don't ever struggle with knowing the difference between those two or three because you know the distinct qualities of each of those items. You know that Connecticut is a place. You know that chicken noodle soup, the condensed kind, is something you ate when you were a child and you were sick. You know that Tom Hanks is a person. But when it comes to matters of faith, if we don't know who God is, then sometimes we begin to think that that is really God and it's not. Or that's really true, but it's false. Or that's really something that I should follow after, but in essence, it's not something of God, but rather something of the world. It's why discipleship is so important. It's why we encourage you to stay in God's Word every day so that you know the difference between what's true and what's false. And that you don't wonder anymore, is that of God? Because the clearest way to discern is What is the truth that it is based upon? John says, every spirit that doesn't acknowledge that Jesus has come in the flesh and that he is center to truth, it's not of God. So what the spirit does is acknowledges who Jesus is and what God had sent him to do. And he says that can be authenticated by is God in the center. And if it's authenticated, then it's worthy to follow and it's worthy of worship. Don't you love those moments when you're buying something or you're trying to create an account through some uh, website, and it pops up that little thing that makes you determine that you're not a robot. (laughs) That thing that says, you know, we think that you might be a robot, so the way that we're going to know that you're not a robot is you're going to pick every image that has a traffic signal (laughs) in it. And it is like the most stressful part of my day, because there's always one that has like a fraction of a color of red, and you're thinking, is that a traffic signal? Because I don't want this company to think I'm a robot. I don't know what that is testing. I'm sure there is an IT person in the room that will stick around after the service and let me know what it is testing. I don't know what it's testing, but it's testing something to authenticate, am I a real person or am I a robot? When it comes to matters of faith, it's why this is so important. Because see, every message that is coming your way is something that needs to be authenticated or it may be false. And John is saying, I want you to know the difference between what's true, capital T truth, and what might be one of the many lowercase t truths that you are exposed to on a day in and day out basis. Why is all this important? 
It's so important because we live in a world where absolute truth is a very bad word. Where it's something that we tend to kind of shy away from. But Red Crow Marketing, a marketing firm, and this, and this totally affirms to me as to why this is important. What they say from a marketing perspective is that on every day, every 24-hour period of your life, that anywhere between four and 10,000 advertisements come your way. Think about it. You own no products that have not put the brand of the product right on the product. It's advertising day in and day out. You are bombarded with messages all the time. It's as if John knows that that's what our life is going to be like. That's what we're going to be kind of enduring on a daily basis. So what does that mean? It means that ideas and causes and words and issues and religion and agnostics and atheists and all of the above and then some are presented to us at all points and all times. Some of those things that I just mentioned were based on truth. Some of them were not. John is saying a life that's built on truths of God leads to full, rich, beautiful life. A life that's not built on that truth doesn't lead to that. In fact, it leads sometimes to fear and worry and anxiety and ultimately being eternally separated from God. So how do I overcome all of these things? If there is true and false, and how then do I overcome those things? What do I have to be aware of? What is the next test that you have for me? God, look at verse 4. You then, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I love this. In fact, you see it here on your notes. The power of God surpasses the power of everything else. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The power of God surpasses everything else. Now, is the power of the enemy great? Yes. Is there a real enemy out there who has set his sights on you to destroy your life? Yes. The power of the enemy is great. I will never diminish that. I do think sometimes we have an unhealthy fascination with the enemy. And we talk more about the enemy than we talk about God. I would encourage you not to do that. But I also would encourage you to never diminish the fact that there is a real enemy out there who is set out to destroy your life. But see, the power of Christ is greater. The enemy may destroy you, but lean in. He will not defeat you. If you're walking with Jesus, the enemy may destroy you, but he will not defeat you. In fact, maybe this comes as a shocking statement to you. The enemy may kill you, but he will not conquer you. Think about it. Jesus was physically put to death. He was put to death at the hands of an angry mob. He was put to death at the hands and hung on a cross at the hands of people that he came to save. But he took that cross. The people who crucified him thought they had destroyed him by physically taking his life. But did that death defeat him? No. He was conquered death because the power of God surpassed the power of the enemy. That is so huge for you to understand. So I don't care where you are today. I don't care how captive you may be held by the world or how much fear may have taken root in your life or how much you may think I cannot defeat what it is that I have in front of me. You will not in your own power defeat what is in front of you, but God is greater than the power of the enemy. And he is with you. And you may be destroyed. You may be downtrodden. You may wonder, is there any hope? Know that you are not conquered because of him. 
So how do we continue to know that we really get this? What is that next level? It's not just being able to discern between true and false, but it's taking it to that next level and saying, God, what is it that you desire to do? What is it that you want to show me? Show me how to, how to know that I am really with you and that I really get what you desire for me to get. He answers that in verse 7. Dear friends, based on everything that we just said, dear friends, then let us love one another. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So you see this here on your notes, but the great indicator of knowing God is whether or not you love. It's the greatest indicator. The great indicator of knowing God, am I really walking with God? Am I really passing this test, so to speak, is whether or not you love. Because see, that outflow of love is a result of where we have found truth and where we have placed our truth. I want to read to you some words of Jesus. And this is in Matthew chapter 7. And it comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And there's four verses here that are some of the most convicting verses of Scripture. It's four verses that, these are the kind of verses that keep me up at night. Not the ones about angels and demons. But these are the ones. These are the ones that I read them over and over and over again. And I try to say, God, what is it that you're trying to teach me? And what is it that you're trying to teach us as a church through these verses? Listen to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, what has Jesus done here? He is saying that there's two paths in life. That there's one path that is a very broad path, and many people find this path. And what is the destination of that path? Destruction. This is eternally separated from God. This is hell. This is a place of torment. This is a place where you are not with God. And he says it's a broad path. Many people find that path. And then he says, but there's a narrow path that leads to life, and fewer people find that. But the destination of that path is eternity with God. This is heaven. He says, more people find path A than find path B. So that should tell us something about how to indicate in our life, are we really with God or have we bought into some of the lies of this world? And then he goes on. Look at verse 21 and 23. Scroll over just a bit. Jesus' words again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. And what Jesus is saying here is that on that day, many people will say, Yeah, Jesus, I was with you. Yeah, Jesus, I was for you. Yeah, Jesus, my life was about you. And he's going to say, well, show me how you knew me. Because if you knew me, you would have grown in the things that I wanted you to grow in. And what are the things that he wants you to grow in? Love. Loving God and loving other people. It was the clearest commandment. The clearest commandments that Jesus has given us. Love God and love other people. And he says, many that day are going to say, but look at my sheet of activities. Look at all the things that I have done. Jesus. I even drove out demons in your name. I prophesied in your name. Jesus, I got a gold star as a kid for perfect church attendance. I know all the books of the Bible. I know the song to them all. I can quote scripture. And Jesus is saying, great. 
but do you know me? Because that's the test. The test is not how many Sundays have I missed church in 52 weeks. The test is not how many times have I read the Bible cover to cover. Do I believe that you should be in church frequently? Yes. Do I think you should seek to read the Bible cover to cover? Yes. But many times in our faith journey, we make it all about works opposed to about knowing him. And he says to those who have made it all about checking boxes, you may very well hear the words, depart from me because I didn't know you. I wasn't in a relationship with you. So see, that great indicator of knowing God isn't all the things that I have done. I've said this to you many times before, but do you know who some of Jesus' most difficult statements were to? Religious people. Some of his most difficult statements were not to the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Some of his most difficult statements were to the people who thought they were better than they really were. And so hear that message. Allow it to test your heart. And allow God's words to search every part of your heart and say, when I look at my life, is it a life that's indicated by knowing God, growing in love, or is it a life that's merely indicated by a bunch of boxes that I may have checked? And he continues saying, I want you to get this. I want you to grow in love. And this is how you know what love is, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see this here on the screen. But the greatest act of love that the world has ever and will ever see is God sending Jesus. It is the greatest act of love. Some of y'all had an amazing proposal to your wife. That is not the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen. The greatest act of love the world has ever and will ever see is God sending Jesus. Verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I could stay up here and talk all day about this. This is so good. It's like that song that we sang at the the last song in worship when we, we talk about great are you, Lord. Do you know every time that you say those words, great are you, Lord, what you're actually saying then is weak as everything else. Great are you, Lord, means weak as the world. Great are you, Lord, means weak as my agenda. Great are you, Lord, is weak as my plans. And this is what John is saying. This is what Jesus has done for you. This is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That should make us proverbially literally, figuratively raise our hands in worship to say, great are you, Lord, because you have done something for me that I didn't deserve. And you've given me something that I could never earn. God intentionally sent his son to a people who would reject him. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice to take away the sins of the world, to take away the sins of humanity, past, present, and future. And if we place our faith in him, let's listen to this, if we place our faith in him, it's as if we never sinned. He takes it all away, once and for all. He made an atonement for that. His blood was shed as a sacrifice to give us what we didn't deserve, and he offers it to us unconditionally. And as a result of that, something in our life should change, and we should go and do likewise. In fact, if you've had an encounter with Jesus or have had a, a moment in your life where, where, where you're, you've tried to give con- control of your life to Jesus and nothing has changed, then why not today come back and say, God, I know that when I meet you, something should change. 
in my life. So I want to know you. I don't want to just check boxes, but I want to know you. And I promise you, when you pray that, he meets you there. And he listens. And he yearns for you to come to him. Because he says, this is the test. (laughs) This is what really separates people who just proclaim to know God, but those who really are in a knowledge relationship with God. I was reminded of this this past week. I was having coffee with a friend of mine, and something really stuck out to me that my friend said to me. And uh, it's an awesome guy, and, and he has been sober for 16 years. And we were celebrating that, and, uh, and I'm just so proud of him and proud of what God has done in his life. And he's at a point in his life where he's walking with other people, you know, on their journey to sobriety and, and with, um, you know, with uh, various support groups and things of that nature. And he was telling me a story about another guy in the group, and he wasn't divulging any names or any issues of any identity like that. Uh, but he was just telling me a big picture story about a guy that he's walking with. And he said, I've known this guy for a couple of years now. And he said, about every four months, he'll have a relapse. About every four months, he'll be sober for about four months. And then something will happen, and he'll pick up a drink, and he'll take that. And he says, and then shortly thereafter, he always calls me. And he says, he called me just this past week because something had kind of, the bottom had fallen out in his life. And he said, when I answered the phone, he, he frequently says the same thing with that type of call. He said, thank you so much for taking my call because I need you right now. And what my friend said to him is he said, I responded with, I will always answer every time you call. And here are two grown men and, you know, it doesn't take much for me to cry. And I'm sitting there like at the coffee shop trying to fight back tears because I loved this picture that my friend gave to someone that he's walking with in life. He said, every time. You pick up that phone and you dial that number and you start the conversation with what has happened. I will always answer that call. I'm never taking your number out of my phone. And I affirmed that in him, but I thought, you know what? That's a pretty cool picture of what God did for us too, though. And here my friend gave me a perfect example of what God's love has manifested in our life. What is God saying to us? God is saying, no matter how many times you have messed up, no matter how many times you have sinned, no matter how many times you have gotten back under the sway of addiction, no matter how many times you have turned your back and you've continued to run from me opposed to running to me, I'm here with open arms to welcome you home and to bring you back. In fact, I'm running after you. And I'm pursuing you. And it doesn't make God think less of you when you're broken and you say, God, I need you. It's a moment. Try it. Try me. It's a moment when God wraps those big proverbial loving arms around you and you feel that peace maybe that you've never felt before in your life. So God's not disappointed when you turn to him. God wants you to turn to him. In fact, it's one of the greatest indicators that your life is growing in God and when you run to him opposed to running away from him because see he is always right there so my question to you is do you know God that way is that the type of relationship that you have with God because if you have that kind of relationship with God I think a word that would probably be used to describe your life as peace you would have a sense of peace that no matter what has happened there would be peace if you don't have that peace what you probably have in your life is fear because fear tends to take residence in all the places that peace is elusive. And it's what 
John is trying to prepare us for as well. Look at verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, though. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So you see this on your notes, but fear holds you captive, but it doesn't have to, friends. Fear may hold you captive. It may be holding you captive right now, but it doesn't have to. Specifically, in this text, what he's talking about is fear of judgment. He's saying some of you are fearing that you're going to get to the last days and that your eternity is not going to be with Jesus. You don't have to have that fear. In addition to that, you don't have to have fear about all the things that are out of your control. You don't have to have fear about all the things in your life that may happen. Rather, you can have peace in the midst of every storm. And God wants to give you that peace. He wants to give you that freedom because that love drives out fear. Not only the fear of judgment, but the fear of can God really be trusted? Or where is God in the midst of all of the things that are happening in the world right now? He wants to replace that with peace. And then he gives us one last test. He says, we love because he first loved us in verse 19. And whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For everyone who does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Do you guys remember when you were little and, um, you were potentially getting ready to get in a conflict with another little friend. And what would you do? You'd draw a line in the sand and you'd say, if I dare you to cross this line. Is that proverbial line? If you come over here, I, I dare you to do it. What were you doing? You were trying to kind of stake a claim. Here's a line in the sand. This verse of scripture is John drawing a pretty big line in the sand. And he's saying, I just want to make sure that you really understand the final test. Because in essence, what John is saying here, and you see it here on your notes as we close, is that love of God and hate for people cannot coexist. Love of God and hate for people. They just do not coexist. They can't coexist. And this chapter is one of the few times that God is directly identified with one of his attributes. We don't just see that God is loving. We see that God is love. It's not just a characteristic, but it is one of his defining attributes. And because God is love, that love of God, it's not in us if there's hate for someone else. They do not coexist. They can't coexist. Maybe you've been trying to make them coexist for quite some time. And that might be the very thing that you need to give control up to God right now. I use a little bit of creative liberty with this, but I can't help but think that some of those people in Matthew chapter 7 that Jesus is addressing, they were saying, broad is the path that's leading to destruction. I can't help but some of them were probably saying, but Jesus, I was with you. Jesus, I worshiped you. Jesus, I proclaimed you. And he said, yeah, but you didn't really know me because you didn't love other people. And that knowledge of my love had not really taken up residence in your life as an outflow in the life of other people. And so as a result of that, sometimes we may be on a path to destruction because we're trying to make things coexist in our life that Jesus never desired for us to have in coexistence with. So how are you doing on this test? What still needs to happen in your life? Where is it that God is urging you to grow? Is it an issue with truth? Or maybe it's an issue with faith? Or maybe it's an issue with fear? Or maybe it's just an issue with God, I need to know you and not just live my life where I'm trying to check all of the boxes, whatever it is that God's asking you to grow in. I pray that today would be the day that you do that. 
In fact, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment because I want to give you a chance to reflect upon this. I'm not going to make it awkward. I'm not going to call anybody out. But I just believe if God is here and if God's wanting to work in your life, that you'll have the courage to take that step. The band's going to come up. They're going to play. Um, one final song for us. It's not only a chance for worship, but it's a chance for you to reflect. And if you're here and there is some step that God is asking you to take, what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is to take that connection card. You've got a connection card. Hopefully you have a pen or a pen somewhere close. And then you'll just kind of write on the bottom of that card, this is what God is asking me to do. And what's going to happen this week is one of us will follow up with you. Maybe it's a step of faith for the very first time. I pray that you would have the courage to say, I want to talk to somebody about faith. I want to give control of my life to Jesus. Maybe it's a next step of baptism, of saying, I want to identify with Jesus, and I want to publicly proclaim that I no longer belong to myself, but I belong to him. Or maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's something that has just held you captive for far too long, and you want today, this week, to be the week that you break free from that. And trust in God more than you trust in the things of this world. And I pray that you'll have the courage to do that. Make some notes so that we can follow up with you. And then after the band sings and after they lead us in worship, there's going to be a time of response through offering. And you can drop that card in there. And you can rest assured that we would love to follow up with you. Would love to come alongside you as you seek to continue following God and leaning into that beautiful life that he has for you. God, thank you for meeting us here today. We are so grateful for your son, Jesus, that was sent as an atoning sacrifice so that we could have life. I pray for the person in the room right now that does not have that relationship with you, that today would be the day when they make a step towards you. For the person in the room who wants to take a next step of faith, I pray that today would be the day when they have the courage to take that step. God, I thank you that you are here. I thank you for your love. I thank you for all that you have done. And I thank you for taking away our sin and giving us hope and life and peace. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of Rolling Hills Podcast Network. We can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast or Men's Leadership Network or the Rolling Hills Women As You Go Podcast and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stay up to date with what's happening and ways you can connect. Hey, we are so thankful for you.